Welcome to Bike Talk with Dave. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm glad you're here in what is the second of our July Ragbri special episodes. Today we're talking with frame builder Jeffrey Bach, who began building frames, that's like the original carbon steel kind, in 1975. Since then, he's built hundreds of frames, frames that have been ridden by professional cyclists in Europe, Ragbri legends across Iowa, and even across the United States. If you're not familiar with his work, please head on over to Facebook and look for Jeffrey Bach, that's with a K, Custom Cycles. So Jeffrey Bach Custom Cycles on Facebook, where he not only shows some of his completed works of art, but takes you through the process from rough lugs all the way to paint. As you'll hear me rant during our conversation, I've dreamt of owning a Jeffrey Bach for many, many years, and I'm beginning to actually put the wheels in motion to make that happen. But seriously, I've been a fanboy for nearly 40 years since we first met in 1985. Before, to, before I get to my recent talk with Bach, I've got to tell you about a great deal from Adventure Plus, a streaming service for people who love bikes and kayaking and hiking and running and skiing and all kinds of adventure. With your monthly subscription, which really costs about as much as a CO2 cartridge, you have access to hundreds of adventure films from around the world. And the best part is, I've teamed up with them to give you your first 90 days for free. That's awesome because in this pile of films, you get to check out my own films. A couple about life on the Iditarod Trail called A Thousand Miles to Nome, as well as the shorter film Down the Kuskokwim. And you can watch my first film, which is a flick about a hundred mile ultra run called Reach for the Stars. Check them all out at adventureplus.com and don't forget to sign up for your free 90 day trial. Just click the link in the show notes. So I also got to tell you about my sweet bike talk with dave stickers i'll be on ragbri passing them out so if you see me be sure and ask for one if i haven't already snuck one in your back pocket while waiting in the kaibo line but i'm also going to send one to you if you buy me a coffee so i also got to tell you about my sweet bike talk with dave stickers i'll be on ragbri passing them out so if you see me be sure and ask for one if i haven't already stuck one in your back pocket while waiting in line at the kaibo but I'm also gonna send you one if you buy me a coffee. Just look for Bike Talk with Dave at buymeacoffee.com where you can financially support the show. I promise I'll use your generosity to make the show even better. I also wanna thank bikeiowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. What a great website with hundreds of trails, events, and news about all things bike in Iowa and around the Midwest. Look for that Bike Iowa booth while you're rolling across the state. And if you miss them there, click on bikeiowa.com and you can purchase shirts, koozies, jerseys, hats, and all kinds of cool Bike Iowa gear. Okay, so let's get to my conversation with Jeff Bach, who joined me on my outdoor studio, as you'll hear, on my deck on a perfect July evening. Jeffrey Bach, this is a real treat to have you on today and before we begin I have to tell people how we met because it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I have a sister who is older than me 
Should I say how much older? Uh, it's a, that's that's your. Well, I, well, well, well. Okay, let me put it this way. Um, will Will Jackie care? She will not care. Well, then by all means. Okay. Well, she is twelve years older than I am, and I went on my first rag bri with Bike World in nineteen eighty five. I think we figured out rag bri twelve. Okay. And the very first day of the ride, and I, I again I work for Bike World, so I would ride to some parking lot and there would be a van there and we would set stuff up to sell t-shirts and fix bikes and all that until dark and then go to bed and do it again and that was before forest got lights it was before everybody got lights i was there the year we got lights and it was horrible <laughs> oh my gosh somebody would roll up at 9:30. hey i just wrecked can you rebuild my wheel well, you didn't have the excuse to say no at that point. I know. And you wanted to make $75, so I was lacing wheels at 10 o'clock at night after we got lights. But, yes, that was before we got lights. Yeah. <clears throat> so the very first day of the ride, which was a Sunday, I roll into the overnight town, and I find the Bike World van, and there's some dude taking stuff out of the van, setting up a repair stand and a toolbox. It was very simple back then. It was literally a repair stand and a toolbox and a pump. Yeah. And I said, hey, to this guy, my sister told me to be on the lookout for some guy she met in college 12 years ago. Went to you and I. And uh, he worked in the bike shop underneath the bookstore, and he always took such good care of my bike. So if, uh, if you ask around, see if you can find this dude. Okay, what's his name? Uh, Jeffrey Bach. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll dig around. You are the very first person I meet. And I roll up and I say, hey, my sister. I told the story. And you're like, what did she say about him? Was he nice or was he a jerk? I was like, oh, no, she liked him. He was super nice to her. Oh, okay, well, then I'm Jeffrey Bach. <laughs> you're literally the very first person I run into. It was hilarious. Yeah. So... I've known you since 1985. What is that? Five years? Ten, maybe? Something like that. It's certainly not 35 or 40. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff Bach, uh, Jeffrey Bach, as you are, are branded, I call you Bach. Um, you've been building frames for a long dang time. And I want to go back to your time at UNI. Um, you went to Northern Iowa. Right art major, education major. Um, is that, and I'm guessing, I, I read that you started building frames in 1975. That's correct. Which would have put you right around your time at UNI? I graduated from UNI in 74. Okay. And, um, you know, I started out in art education and then I dropped the education part my junior year. Um, and so, you know, I graduated in May, June, whatever it was. And, um, you know, those Europa cycles under the bookstore. Yep. And, um, you know, they offered me a job. And I, I thought, I was like, oh, my God, how cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm graduating college and I'm offered a job, you know. This, you know, this is great. Yeah, um, that's kind of unheard of for an art major, isn't it? Well, it's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um and so, yeah, I, it was, 
it was like a dream come true. I mean, you know, God, you know, you can actually pay me, you know, to hang out around bikes. I yeah. Mean, you know, it was wonderful. Did you ride? Were you a cyclist? Oh, yes. Well, yeah. and that's why they offered me a job is because I was dragging all my friends in to buy bikes so we could go for bike rides. What, what kind of riding did you do? Oh, just riding around, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there's, well, I mean, you were there. I mean, there's like county blacktops going all kinds of oh, different directions. Yeah. So we'd just go out and ride, ride in the kind of blacktops or, you know, we'd ride around town. Um, um, I, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things that captured my imagination and I liked it. Yeah. So. Well, um, I'm curious. I was never a racer. You never raced? No. Okay. Well, well, you you have a history with racing. Oh, sure. I mean, building bikes for racers. Yeah, for sure. For but, like like major league. But part of the reason, I mean, part of the reason I started to build frames is, you know, at in fairly short order. Um you know, I, when I went there, I had a a French bike. And um Peugeot, Jetons. Uh, uh, Fully, F-O-L-L-I-S. Uh, no, don't yeah, even know yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and it was a nice bike. But, you know, Raleigh Competition was nicer, so I had mm-hmm. that. A couple months later, I had a Raleigh Pro. Ooh. And then also somewhere in there, I had acquired a 64 Schwinn Paramount. Ooh. And, you know, so there I am with two top-of-the-line production bikes right and yeah they were both racing bikes man and what i was looking for was a touring bike okay well they were not that no they certainly were not touring bikes and um you know this is 1974 75 and nobody was making a touring bike here yeah here i mean I, i mean you know, I, I was vaguely aware of a guy named Albert Eisentrout out in Oakland, California. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that seemed like, you know, that's a long ways. And, like, you know, you know, there was no Internet then. So how do you get a hold of him? You know, all, right. that, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I didn't know of any dealers, you know. So it's like, yeah. Um, but I knew about frame building. And I knew that there was European people building touring bikes. But I'd also... I mean, I was working at the bike shop, and I was still living like a student, really, really cheap, and I was, you know, working full-time, and, you know, I bought a Campanolo, I had acquired a Campanolo tool kit. Oh, nice. Well, yeah, and, but it was like, you know, it was real fun to have that at the bike shop, but it also, when I was going through my mind, and this is, you know, it was no, no way, shape, or form logical, um, it you, occurred to me you that... You were an art major, so... Yeah, exactly. Creative. Yeah. Uh, but it occurred to me, like, you know, these tools are actually... I mean, they're like shop tools, but they're also, like, tools that a frame builder would use. Mm-hmm. And so, like, maybe I should build a touring frame. Now, did you, as an art major, do some welding, brazing? No. No. Okay. No, no, no. So I, that wasn't part of your schooling? No, no. no. Um... I, you know, I was a uh, painter and a printmaker, mostly. Okay. <clears throat> um, but, you know, uh, <laughs> um, but 
Well, yeah. Um, but I figured, well, you know, I would need some instruction, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I would think you would, yeah, yeah for and sure. So, and so I made the pilgrimage to Michael Cyclery because that was the, you know, that was Mecca at the time. And that's where you went to seek enlightenment, you know, if you were into bikes. Yes. And, um, you know, there was, oh, some benefit ride for some racer who crashed and, you know, burned and... Um, and, you know, so after the ride, I was talking to Michael Fatka, you know, the owner of Michael's. And uh, I said, I want to learn how to build bike frames. Do you have any idea who I talk to or where I would go? And he said, no, but, I, he, but he's got this guy working for him who has been messing with it. And he would introduce me. Well, that was Mike Bornstein. Oh. And so he introduced me to Bornstein, and turns out Bornstein had gone up to the Twin Cities and, you know, had paid um, Cecil Berenger a consultancy fee to talk to him about frame building. I mean, it wasn't really a class. It's just like Mike had questions, and Cecil, I guess, answered the questions and then took some money from him. Hmm. And so, I, so I'm to, to Bornstein, like, well, cool. Will you give me his contact information? And he kind of looked at me like, are you crazy? He said, like, well, sure. But he said, I'll tell you everything he told me, and I won't charge you. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, okay. And so I think he decided I was serious enough about it. He said, look, get your bike and come on. We'll go over to my place. And I went to this house where he was staying, and we went down in the basement, and he had a workbench all set up, and he had he had – Reynolds tubes and he had all kinds of lugs and dropouts and bottom bracket shells and stuff and he said you know so you know he picked out the tubes and he said all right now you pick out some lugs you know that you like and you know pick out some dropouts and da 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 and then he made out this list of tools he said all right you go buy these tools you take this stuff you do this and this and this to it you come back when when you got that done and we'll start brazing it together. So, so were the tools like mitering tools and files? Well, and mo- lots of files. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, at that point we were mitering by you know we were mitering by hand with files. Oh wow. Yeah, it's and eyeballs. Kind yeah. Of like filing yeah. it and oh, does it fit? Well, exactly. You wow. know exactly. You know, um, I mean, if you want to know the technique, I mean, what you do is you stick a lug over the end of the tube, and you describe the end of the tube. In the inside of the lug, and then you take a aviation snips and you kind of cut it out kind of close, and then you get a file that was about the right shape, um, you know, a half round, and then you you start filing you it, and then you and then you check it, and then you have a full scale drawing, and you lay the tubes on there, and it had to all line up at the exact angle, and you have to be able to hold it up the light and not see any you know not see any light in the cracks. I mean it. Um, with practice, you could do it pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, and I think it was a useful thing to go through, but, um, and actually, I mean, I, I mean, I did it that way for quite a while until, you know, I got a milling machine and, Mm. you know, proper cutters, but, um, and I mean, if you're going to do production, I mean, a milling machine's the only way to do it. But, yeah. Um, but, but it, yeah, it's, I guess it was useful doing it by hand for a while just to kind of. 
It's kind of like riding a mountain bike. It's useful to start out on a fully rigid bike and learn how to ride on a fully rigid bike. It's rough and bumpy, but you learn a lot. Yeah. You and the finesse yeah. and the... Yeah. Well, and you also, I think, learn the... Um, you learn what's possible. Hmm. hmm I mean... Yeah, machines don't, you know, um, machine, machines aren't necessarily more accurate. You know, they're just faster. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, think about it. At some point, somebody had to make that machine. You right. Know, and, right. And, and there was a point where that machine actually had to be manufactured by hand mm-hmm. you know i mean and then and so <clears throat> there there's still room for error even with the machine oh sure and yeah. but like i said i mean the machines really 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 speed stuff up mm-hmm. you know but it you can do amazingly accurate work precise work all by hand hmm. very so cool I, I so i i think that was a useful thing to learn so you're at Michael's Bornstein as a kind of a co... Well, he was working there. Um, you know, he was working for Michael. I mean, he was one of the first guys, I think, went to work for Michael. Okay. And uh, they were both from Cedar Rapids, and, and I don't know if they knew each other in Cedar Rapids or not. And But anyway, um, I was still living in Cedar Falls, mm-hmm. and so I'd come down on, like, Sunday, and... Uh, didn't have a car, so a friend of mine was driving me, and uh, I don't know what he did all afternoon, but, you know, Bornstein and I would go down to the basement and, you know, eventually built this frame. And then in exchange for the rides, um, this young guy who was giving me the ride, uh, you know, he's a, young, a few years younger than me, um, <clears throat> I built him the sec- second frame I did. I built him a frame that he rode on in 1976 on Bike Centennial across the United States. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And that frame has come back. Um, you know, Kim, the guy I built it for, has, re- you know, retired. and <clears throat> He says, Jeff, he says, I still ride a bike, but I haven't ridden this one in years and years. And he said, you know, it's too nice a bike to just dumping a dumpster he said you know would you know somebody who wanted and i said well i don't know maybe but um <clears throat> there's a collector who grabbed it and had me repaint it and he's rebuilding it with all period correct parts and stuff so what year would that have been 76 76 wow so and it's still he's riding it or will be riding it well He's a collector. Okay, uh, I'm not but it'll sure. be rideable. It'll be rideable, and um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Although I I cringe at the, you know the, the yeah I mean. <laughs> um, you you don't hold it up as your current nah, quality standards. I've uh, I think I've learned some stuff in the. <laughs> I would know, expect you but, have. Um, but you could tell I was. But you can. I mean, there is evidence that I was trying real hard. Oh, that's nice. I, one of your signatures are your sharp pointy gorgeous uh tapered lugs yeah and uh this one's not like that 
This is not like that? No. Yeah. No, but that started pretty early, as I recall. Oh, well no, well, no, and I tried to do that. I just wasn't as good at it. Okay, well, it was your second frame, so of course you weren't. Yeah. I would hope, hope you weren't. One of the things that I, I relate to, or I don't know, as I go back to, I was an art major at UNI for a year, and uh, I had, you remember Finnegan? I had Finnegan. He was a sculpture teacher for me. I think okay. he also taught ceramics. Yeah. And uh, I, I, two things I remember. One is he said, one of our assignments was to um, come up with our favorite sculpture and bring the name or the picture or whatever to class. And I came up with, and I have no idea how he came up with it. I think because I didn't pay attention to sculpture as art, I came up with the Liberty Bell, which I think was a beautiful shaped thing. Yeah. A, I mean, I wouldn't call it a sculpture. Have you been to Philadelphia? I had. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, and it's cool. I, obviously, the history is interesting oh, sure. and yeah. all that. So that's A. He says, come up with your favorite sculpture, and I come up with the Liberty Bell. B is, I was way more interested in the sailboat that he was restoring and adding four feet onto the transom of than I was art sculpture yeah. stuff. Sure. And I say that because I think my artistic eye leans toward um, usable a sailboat is a beautiful piece of art and a bicycle. If I remember correctly, his sailboat was like one of those old wooden ones, right? Uh, you know, m maybe not the same one. He was adding a fiberglass, okay. like four feet of transom so he could sail across Lake Michigan or okay. something. Uh, so this was this was pretty much all fiberglass. All right. Um but my my view of art, and maybe it's changed in the last 40 years, uh, was functional art, like a bicycle. I think a bicycle is a gorgeous machine. And I think a Jeffrey Bach is an incredibly, uh, it's a work of art. You're, well, you're, well, thank you. I mean, I don't think there are many people who would argue with me. Um, <laughs> Your 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 lugs are exquisite. Whatever you have, a few styles that you do. You cut out little swirly gigs or file down little swirly gigs and little pointy things, and they're all gorgeously filed. And, and then, of course, your paint jobs. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I I feel like that uh, my attraction to. Um, uh, what did I call it? Functional art, uh, you know, goes all the way back to my time with Finnegan and okay. saying the Liberty Bell is is uh, a sculpture. But um, you you must have had some because a lot of people build bicycles. Uh, maybe not a lot, but a lot. Um, well, Sirota, in our world, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Um, in our world, a lot of people build bikes. Yeah. Uh, but you really do take yours to the next level. Where did that drive to make them gorgeous come from? Well, um, 
even your second one you just said you tried yeah well it's like with those lugs well it's like who are your influences you know um um you know i remember um i mentioned albert eisentrad a little Mm -hmm. while ago and you know he was one of the first custom frame builders whose work i became aware of and so, like, shortly after or maybe even a little bit before I started building, you know, like, I saw one of his. And it's just like, oh, wow, this is what a bike can look like. I mean, because, I mean, he had really nice lug work. And also then, um, Michael's cycler had just started selling strawberry frames. You know, Tell me about the strawberry. Strawberry were built in Portland, Oregon. Uh, it was started by a guy named Andy Newlands, who is still out there. And um, I don't think he builds anymore, but he is the North American Reynolds tubing distributor. Um, through, a thing called, uh, through a company called Torch and File, but he still has strawberry. Um, and a guy named Mark Danucci worked for him. And Mark Danucci, who anytime he bothers to go to the North American Handbuilt Show, walks away with the best lugged bike. And is that even if you're there? I've never exhibited. Okay. Um, I mean, it's it's very it it's expensive to um, exhibit. Yeah, to exhibit. Okay. I mean, you know, they're a lot of money and. Um, They're usually someplace where you have to travel a long ways to get to. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I looked up, I looked into it once. And, okay, so the booth, I thought, was, I was like maybe was like maybe 1500 bucks, which struck me as, like, a lot of money. And then you couldn't move anything yourself. It had to be done oh, by the union. Pl- the union. Yeah. And and so, like, this is just the booth. And you want electricity, it's more. If you want this, it's more. You want this, it's more. It's like, whoa. And so, like, so I've, nev- I, I've never been. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, but Danucci does gorgeous, gorgeous work. And, like, the strawberries reflected that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I was... You know, that's what I was aiming towards. Mm-hmm. And then I also remember one conversation, you know, I had with uh, Mike Bornstein. You know, was helping me build the first one. And, um, you know, I said, well, I, I sure hope this turns out, you know, as well as like my, you know, as well as my rally, you know, my, my rally professional. And he kind of looked at me and says, Jeff. You need to raise your expectations. Hmm. Well, and a Raleigh Pro is a nice bike. Yeah, but back then the bike boom, they weren't pretty. Okay. I mean, right? They were slamming them out, painting they, them, and but they were. But no, they, they were under. Yeah, they were built in the Carlton Workshop, and the Carlton Workshop was not designed to put out the number of bikes that they were putting out. I okay. Mean, yeah, they were. Yeah. Um. And I don't know if it's germane to this discussion or not, but like I heard, um, you know, one of the 
you know, the North American manager, a group of, you know, some pros came in. Mm -hmm. And he looked at them, and he took a tubing cutter, and he cut them all apart because he didn't think, he said, you know, those aren't good enough to have the Raleigh name on them. Oh, wow. So, um the one I got apparently made past. But apparently. Yeah. Unless, <laughs> unless there was some duct tape in there that yeah. you didn't see. Yeah, but <laughs> anyway, so, you know, that's, I mean, that, yeah, so I, I guess those were my role models, huh. uh, you know. Um, so what is the, um, kind of the process? I, I could go buy a tub of lugs and a pile of tubing and get a torch and start brazing. Well, yeah. And it could be the exact same lugs and set of tubing that you use, and they would they would be very different. Well, that's one of the things I like about lugged bikes, Dave, is that you give a set of specs you know, to five different builders, and... All five of them are going to look different mm -hmm. to some degree. I mean, there's going to be some similarities, mm -hmm. and especially if you start them out with the same lug set. But um, whereas like a welded bike, you know, unless I'm missing something, a good weld is a good weld is a good weld. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, <clears throat> whereas each builder... I mean, and I'm talking like, you know, the handcrafted ones. I mean, like production bikes, you know, they have, they're, they cannot take as much time. Right. But each builder, if you're doing a custom bike, um, brings their own eye, their own sense of aesthetics to it. And um, each one will handle that, you know, handle that aspect of it just a little bit differently. And that's, I think... That's one of the amazing, fun things about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you seem to spend a lot of time with your lugs even before you start building the frame. Oh yeah. No, uh, most of the work. It's easier to do the work there. When I they're think. just lugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's true of most builders. I mean, especially if you're going to thin the lugs down. And. Um, and that's one of your signatures is a thin, well, tapered th lug, yeah, right? Yeah, well, that's something that I learned from you those, know, those, two, those guys. Yeah, yeah Eisentrout and Danucci, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. so. How much time would you spend on a set of lugs? <laughs> Unfair question. Yeah, no, it's just, it depends on the lug set. Um, I mean, some, some you can get prepped much much quicker and others just take a lot lot more time hmm. and um you know um i mean i don't know how much detail you want to go into like lug styles and types and stuff but um uh general i'm curious generally okay well like back in the old days they were like sand cast and they yeah. were really 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 rough and that was mostly before my time i'd run into a crown once in a while that was way and i've still got some old Italian bottom bracket shells that I think came out of, you know, were mo mozzie that were sand cast. And it's just like, like, 
lumpy almost. Oh, yeah. It's just like, oh, I just can't. I mean, the work that they would take. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah. Um, that was back when, you know, men were men. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, wow. Um, and bottom brackets are really hard to work because, you know, you've got four sockets, yeah. right? And all those compound curves. And, you know, it's just like, whoa. Um, and files are generally straight yeah right? yeah and, yep. and you know they, they don't bend and not, you know so, they're not curvy yeah, and yeah so it's like okay how do you get into all those right spots but um then came um pressed lugs and so they started out life as a flat flat sheet of steel that were then pushed through a series of dies and stuff to form them and then generally there'd be a welded seam hmm. And in the early days, I would write down one of the tangs. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later they did it, and so it was like kind of around one of the bands around the front or, you know, on the back of the seat lug. And then they'd be, you know, the insides would be machined and stuff, and the, you know, the the shoreline would be cut out somehow. Mm-hmm. And the shoreline is... Where the lug meets the tube. That's yeah, yeah, it's, it's the edge, you know, the, the, edge, the, yeah. the shape of the lug. Okay. I guess you call it. And, On um, the shoreline. And um, <clears throat> those varied, you know. Um, Were those quality? That doesn't seem like. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they were great. I mean, I mean, or are they, I actually in some ways prefer them. Hmm. Um, even still lugs are still made that way. Very few. Okay. I mean, I, mean, I, I have, you have, a, I have, I a have some, in, I have some in stock. You got it. Got it. Um, no, most, most modern lugs are investment cast. That That's what I would picture. Yeah. Yeah. And those vary a lot too. Um, but what I was going to say about the pressed ones and, and actually it's true of the investment cast too. Um, Later on, like some of the pressed ones, they actually got them so the walls are fairly thin, you know. So you, and, um, and like like I said, then they got the weld around the front, and they were starting to do a really good smooth smooth job on the weld. Um, and so you could spend some time, you know, getting the shorelines cleaned up and looking real nice, and then you do whatever amount of thinning you wanted to do, and they're pretty nice. Uh, investment cast. Um, are uh, thin, can be thin, but they're often kind of thick. Um, one nice thing about them is they're, um, you know, if you don't want to work on the short lines, they look pretty good. You know, I mean, if you, you know, if you like that shape, you know, they're kind of good to go. And that's why a lot of builders like them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is they're more accurate inside, like where the the pressed ones, where the the, the, the two sockets meet. Uh-huh. On the pressed ones, there'd be a gap, which made them easier to blacksmith or bend to whatever angle you wanted. Hmm. The investment cast ones, you've got 
you can't move them very far. You can get a half degree, maybe a degree out of them, but that's all. Wow. I mean, and you know, before you start distorting the sockets. And, yeah. You know, yep. or, you know. um, and so in that sense, I mean, the press lugs are kind of nice because they're a little bit more versatile. And they're also, um, <clears throat> like I said, you know, the shorelines are rougher, and so you, I guess, have uh, more leeway to create what you want. Um, and you can do that with investment cast ones, too. I mean, in fact, yeah. And, in fact, um, you've heard of Henry James lugs, maybe? No. Nope. Right. Well, uh, Hank Folsom, um, I mean, he... You know, he's out of it now, but, uh, you know, he designed a set of investment cast lugs that just kind of, everybody loved them because uh, they were decently thin. Mm -hmm. They were nicely shaped, although the points, you know, the points on the sockets were a little too short. In fact, I mean, I bought a lot of bottom bracket shells from him, but like, you know, it's like, Jeff, you never buy any lugs from me. Why not? And it's like, well, Hank, you know. The points are too short. <laughs> but what was lovely... Did you, did you tell them that? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, God, yes. Um, and he took it well. And yeah. his wife, Monica, was wonderful. Or is, you know. Um, but um, but the nice thing about him is he made them in angles. Oh, so you could specify. Yeah, so you could order whatever angles you needed. And then, like, when the oversized tubing came out, mm -hmm. he also made, you know, he also made a nice line of oversized. Well, if he's making different lines, can he make longer points? Um, you'd think. <laughs> well, maybe you're only one builder out of however many. Uh, um, uh, you know, if, yeah, um, I guess. Yeah. I'm, well, uh, can you add material? Can you make a... Yes. Can you... You, you can weld or, um, you know, uh, braise additional mm -hmm. material. Like, yeah. for instance, um, like I will sometimes... All right, you know, okay. Um, you know, this might sound obsessive, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> The transition between the sockets, like say your top tube socket and your head, or between the the socket for the head tube, yep, and the socket for the top tube, yep. For instance, okay, um, there's usually going to be a radius there on the outside of the lug, and on some investment cast sets, that radius is much too small, too sharp. Hmm. And so what I will do is I'll take a little bit of brass. And I'll kind of lay a little brass fillet in there, so then I, so I can make a, a smoother transition, a larger, a little bit larger radius instead of that real sharp, that real sharp radius. Hmm. And so then when I go and braise the the tubes together inside the lug with silver, silver melts at a much lower temperature, so it doesn't mess up that brass. Interesting. And, and so you can also add, you could add extensions to a lug. You could add them with brass, or you could weld them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And cool. Then, and then go ahead and, you know, yeah. for instance, if you were going to braise your lugs with brass, you you have to weld those extensions on. Huh. So. Uh, how picky do your are your customers in 
specify like how do you decide what lugs to use for i i want when I, i'm riding a 22 year old le monde myo jaune uh-huh. and at some point it's going to die and i don't you know i'm not excited about that day that being said ever since running into some guy my who took care of my sister's bike my dream is to own a jeffrey bach well you can pick you can specify or you can leave it to me how do you decide let's say i said bach i just want my le monde replicated but with your your lugs your your like yeah, you have yeah. carte blanche i i favor longish spear points yeah well they're gorgeous yeah they, um, like your work is gorgeous yeah um and um <clears throat> you know i mean that's what i favor but like right now i'm working on a bike for a guy and he said well um you know he wanted like uh richard Sachs has got a set of lugs out there called nuvex and so they're a kind of a recreation of the old nervex lugs uh famously used by schwinn paramount mm-hmm. and well mm-hmm. Our Peugeot PX10s, hmm. um, Raleigh Internationals used them. I mean, lots and lots and lots of people use Nervex lugs. And they're a design that came out in the 50s. And they were one of the pressed lugs. Um, actually, the tube fit on them was, was usually pretty, was quite good. Um, <clears throat> and they're kind of a fancy shape um i don't know some curly cues and stuff uh, i i guess you'd call it that yeah um <clears throat> a relatively short point and then they got you know some little what do you call that yeah i don't know i, I don't know curly cues. name is the shape yeah curly <laughs> yeah but they're you know kind of a fancy lug and yeah. um but like i said they came out in the 50s or maybe even the 40s and you know they were used by lots and lots and lots and lots of people. I mean, English builders, French builders. I've seen Mozzies built with them. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, um, like I said, they were. You know, Schwinn used them on almost all of their Paramounts for years, and you know, people still. I mean, I, I, I. I kind of fume a little bit like people will see a Schwinn Paramount like god just look at that gorgeous lug work and I'm like all right you're admiring you think Nervex the people in France who made those lugs for that lug work is you know Schwinn I mean it's they did a good they did a good job brazing it but they didn't really do anything to that lug. I mean, they, they didn't th- spend hours filing no, it. No, well, I don't think they spent two minutes. Right. I mean, right. I mean, I think they pretty much used them straight out of the bin because you can still. I mean, if you look at them, you know, with the builder's eye, you can still see, you know, the like rough spots on the edges and stuff. From well, like, I can like, totally picture. I've got a Tomasini and I've got a Pinarello in my basement actually, and they're both nice lugs but they're rough you can tell they're yeah. thick and yeah. 
they came out of a box and they braced them to some tubes and yeah. painted them and yeah they ended up in my basement one day well yeah <laughs> but, it, but but anyway but the nerve x i mean people look at that and and of course and they say it's pretty well and it is a very very pleasing shape mm-hmm. and so anyway richard Sachs recreated that but for like modern or sl- somewhat more modern oversized tubes hmm. and so the bike i'm building is you know uses you know uh these nuvex lugs hmm. and it's you know you know he that's what he wanted so that's you know that's what i'm building and i've uh it's a really nice investment cast set. I mean, um, I think, um, you know, uh, Sachs did the design work, and I think um, a guy named uh, Kirk Bashenti, um helped him work out, you know, some of the stuff with the casting company, mm. you, know, to get, you know, get stuff right. Uh, but Bashenti had a... I don't know if they're still available. Well, actually, they are still available. He sold the molds uh, to a company called Frame Builder Supply in Portland. Hmm. But he, uh, and I don't know when when he did it. But he put out a set of lugs that were you know, investment casts and had lots and lots and lots and lots of material. Um, you Do know, you like, like that or not like that? I don't like them the way they are. Right, I mean, but do you like having a lot of material that yeah, you can shape? Yeah, well, well, yeah, because then you and and and, the, and that was Pashendi's idea. You know, Kirk's idea was that okay, this allows the frame builder to express him or herself. You know, you you know, shape it. I mm-hmm. mean, because here's material. You don't have to add stuff. I mean, you, mostly it's a matter of taking it away. Right. So it's, you know, you mentioned sculpture a while ago. So it's a little bit like M- Michelangelo. You know. It's, it's, Okay, you see the statue of David in that block of marble. Right. Okay, so, you know. Right. Um, and <clears throat> so, but so anyway, yeah, you have, you can have a choice or you, or, know, you or can just kind of leave it to me. And if yeah. I, if, if I do it, it's usually, like I say, you know, my preference is usually spirit point. But I, you know, once in a while I like to experiment with like some shorter point designs. So, yeah. you know, it just depends. You know, shape of the lug is not something that you typically think about. In fact, today, people don't think about it because they're no. made of plastic. Well, or or welded, or like like, welded, like, like right, tie, right. aluminum, right. or steel. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, bikes and people whom you've made bikes for. Let's go back to Fatka. We were talking about Fatka before. Uh, we started recording uh, Michael Fatka. Michael Fatka, for those who don't know, was the, I don't know, manager? Who's the owner? The owner of the Levi's Raleigh oh, professional. Oh, oh. Well, yeah, okay. obviously owner of the uh, Michael, Michael Cyclery, right. But in also um, ran the Levi's Raleigh professional cycling yeah. team, like kind of the only professional cycling team we had here. And so many people went through. When you look at old pictures, and they've got the Raleigh, Levi's, Andy Hampston. Um, we were talking about uh, Greg uh, Tilford, Tilford, Greg Demgen. Um, gosh, so many people well, went Jeff, through. Well, Jeff and Jackie Bradley. Bradley, absolutely. Bradley from uh, um, Dav- Davenport. Davenport. They uh, they rode for Michael on the, uh, the 
Levi's Raleigh. And if you look at these old pictures, and I'm telling you, they're still out there, it says uh, SRC. Skunk River Skunk, Cycles. Skunk River Cycles. So that was the name of the club yeah. that they, uh, that they, they, the Levi's Raleigh team raced for. And like I said, Andy Hampston, uh, Roy Nickman, I mean, a list of the people in the 70s oh, and 80s. Kingsbury. Who went through, Kingsbury, who went through that system were, yeah. that was the hub of racing in america well i mean kind of well certainly tell me it wasn't well so certainly iowa for sure <laughs> well certainly iowa uh but uh, anyway you end up at michael's and um like who were some of the people you worked with and well you mentioned uh Demgen and i you know built a frame you know michael i built a frame for him um i built one for michael mm. um that you know, last time I taught him, he says, "Whatever happened to that?" And I said, "I don't know, Michael. You sold it. It was, it was your bike. <laughs> yeah, your bike. You sold it to somebody. <laughs> what? What did you do with it?" <laughs> that bike shop was a museum, wasn't it? Oh, it was always interesting place. I mean, you know, he was he trained as an architect. You know. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and he had a real eye for stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, Yeah, it was it was an attractive shop, and it was always a lot to look at. And mm-hmm. It was always yeah, and you know if you're into racing, it was a like I said, it was the uh, it was a place where you went to seek enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, um, well, well, I mean, I mean, it's the bike boom. I mean, it was just. Um, at least in Iowa, I mean, I mean, I know some people, you know, who came in big cities and stuff and, you know, there was more of a racing scene, you know, around Chicago cause they had the tracks and stuff up there, I guess. And, you know, whatnot, but, you know, Iowa, I mean, I don't know how he got hooked on racing, but yeah, you know, I, I guess uh, I'm, ki- I guess I'm kind of glad he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, well, okay. So I I built one for Al- I, I built one for Allison or Demgen, Greg Demgen, um, and uh, a guy named Scott Holzrichter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, beyond that, I don't remember. You know, I mean, <laughs> built some frames. Well, a, a couple hundred years ago. Well, I mean, that's been a few years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, this this episode's coming out during Ragbri and kind of. Um, well, uh, you want to talk about famous people I build for? Um, you know, um, Des Moines Register paid to have me build bikes for Donald Call and John Karras. Uh, you know, I was going to mention Karras because Karras, I was fortunate to know him and work on his. His, uh, what did he have before? He had a bike before you built that for him. Well, he had, um, he had a real nice old, well, real uh, kind of a nice old Raleigh Pro. Yeah. Uh, one of the old white ones. I mean, before there were the the blue and silver, and um, and he also had a strawberry. Oh, wow! So, I don't remember the strawberry. Yeah. I must have worked on that. Um, you said Raleigh. Yeah. Because I worked on his bikes before he got his Jeffrey Bach. Okay. But I remember him bringing in his Jeffrey Bach. Yeah. We built and, it up. And Call had a Mozzie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't work much with Call. I don't. 
I knew I knew um, Karis much yeah. better than Carl. Well, but uh, but that was a beautiful. It was a Jeffrey Bach. It was the Ragbri bike. And yeah. We would. One of the things that amazes me about Ragbri is there's twenty thousand people out there, and the people you run into day after day, and four times in the out of seven days we would run into John Karras riding his beautiful Jeffrey Bach. Yeah. So how, how, tell me about his bike. Um, well, I don't remember exactly what tubing I used. I, if I did, remember. Did he have a say in what you, how it oh, was Oh, gosh, built? yes. Okay. Oh, gosh, yes. Okay. No, um, I was... Building in Grinnell at that time. Okay. Uh, at Rick's Bike Shop in Grinnell. Um, and then, sh- you know, um, you know I, I moved from Cedar Falls to Grinnell because, um, I, well, I wanted to build frames. And, um, you know, the shop in Cedar Falls was... didn't see the future in it so um and rick says well if you move to ames and set up shop or not ames excuse me if you move to grinnell um he says i'll i'll sell everything you everything you build that's fair oh yeah it's like yeah okay so i I moved to grinnell and you know i thought it was a college town so i thought well you know it'll be an okay place to live but it turned out it's a really really small town but Mm -hmm. um i mean nice town yeah um, yeah small college small college and um I was only a couple of years older than the college students, mm-hmm. but was too old. Or oh, and yeah, but anyway. Um, and I had met, I guess, Karis and Call on Ragbri. Um, and as you observed, I mean, Karis was so easy to meet and yeah. to talk to. And back then, there was, like, a lot of other rides, and so I would see Karis and Ann on those rides and, you know, run into them. And so one day, he just contacted me and said, you know, what, would I build the, him and Don ragbri bikes? And it's like, oh, sh- sure, I'd love to. And, you know, so they came, and, you know, he wanted, like, little cutouts and lugs and stuff i mean i think it was stars if i remember correctly and uh yeah, i remember giving don a hard time because you, know, you know don't you don't you want cutouts like, no you know <laughs> build me a bike yeah i know it was kind of well and actually call kind of wanted a more of a touring design a comfortable bike mm-hmm. karis wanted a racing style hmm. and the other thing i remember too about Karis was, I don't know, six one, I think. Yeah, he was tall. It's well, a big fa- bike. Well, fairly tall. Yeah. But he also he had a 36-inch inseam, which is really long yeah. inseam. And, you know, really short torso. So, I mean, it was a tall frame. I don't remember, but it was a really, really short top tube, hmm. you know, for a bike that, mm-hmm. for, for a bike that height. But like years later, when um, I think Bike World, you know, got a fit kit, right, right. <laughs> you know, um, John had 
Forrest do a fit kit on him. And Forrest kind of looked at my looked at the measurements. He says, "We can't improve on it." Nice. You, you know, so, Bach uh, hit it out of the park. Well, I don't know if I hit it out of the park, but you know, but I, you know, tall C tube, long, or yeah, yeah, tall C, or yeah, tall C tube and short top tube. Yeah. So. Um, well, that bike is still hanging in Bike World, and there, West Des Moines. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know how he ended up with it, but oh, okay. Because last I saw it, it was still over at the uh, historical museum at oh. the at the Ragbri display. No, it's it's hanging up uh, All right. above one of their doors or something. All right. It is in there. Well, it's got Anne's bike too, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because I eventually built them a tandem, and I built Anne a single. Oh, nice. Or maybe I built Anne a single, and then I built them a tandem. I forget the I forget what order. Did they ride the tandem much? They did for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Have you built many tandems? I don't know that I've seen a, a handful, Jeffrey Bach. A handful? Yeah. Not lots. Yeah. Is that rocket science? Or is it just um, another seat tube? Oh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you also got a second bottom bracket. <laughs> oh, and another bottom bracket. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah. So. Um, well, the end of the seat tube, there would be a bottom bracket. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so you need... Um, you got to keep all that lined up. Yeah, I would think that would be hard. There's a lot of well, mass, torque, power, well, uh, things moving against yeah, each other. Yeah, and that's why tandem tubes in the early days, tandem tubes were always thicker wall. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody figured, and, and well, and I don't know. I mean, I think it was been known for a long time. I mean, there's a couple different ways you can make a tube stiffer. Um, one is increase the wall thickness. The other is you can increase the diameter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a lot more bang for the buck by increasing the diameter. I mean, it gets stiffer faster without adding as much weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so very soon Tandem started using larger diameter tubes. In fact, like... Um, uh, like Jack Taylor in England, or the Taylor brothers in England, you know, they uh, trademark Jack Taylor. Um, um, had Reynolds Dura, you know, make special tubes for them for tandems, you know, and like they had gone to oversized steers and fork mm. blades long before everybody else. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah. And they they started building in the 30s. Oh, wow. And well, yeah. In fact, like, I guess they built enough frames or had enough a good enough relationship with Reynolds that Reynolds actually even did special Jack Taylor Reynolds decals for them. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, proprietary decals, which is like cool. <laughs> Over the years, how many bikes would you say you've built? Would you have any idea? I lost some records. Um, you know, a few hundred, yeah. a couple hundred, three hundred, three hundred fifty, four. I, I don't think it's over four hundred. It's probably like asking somebody who their favorite kid is, but do you have one that stands out as extra special? <laughs> no. No? Well, I mean... 
Oh, oh I, mean, I can tell you some stories about different bikes. Um, like there was a, used to be a shop in Chicago called Cyclery North. And the guy who ran that shop was a guy named Eddie Weisler. And um, Eddie was my frame painter hmm. um, for a while, you know, before I started building, you know, before I started painting myself. And, <clears throat> you know, Eddie was, he was kind of the Joe Bell of his day, I guess, you know. Um, and, uh, Eddie also had a bike shop. I mean, in fact, I mean, the painting was kind of a sideline, sort mm -hmm. of, but, you know, he had this bike shop. And he said, Jeff, I'm tired of these guys coming here, like, what's the lightest bike you got? You know, he says, I want you to build me just the lightest possible frame you can build. And at that time, there's this tube set out there called Ishiwata Alpha. And it was designed for world record attempts, you know, on the track, you know, pursuit mm -hmm. type stuff. I mean, it was just scary thin stuff. So I built him a road bike with it. And, like, I slotted out the bottom bracket shell. I mean, wow. I used to cut it out. I slotted it out. I cut out the top of the fork crown. You know, I brazed the dropouts in. I drilled, drilled, drilled the dropouts Wow. You know, like little little yep. little eighth inch holes, you know, in the dropouts. Um, I left all the like the stays and the fork blades hollow at the end, you know. I mm -hmm. mean so you don't add that extra braze you right. know, to, to fill the end. And and I said, Look. Don't uh, ride this. No, I said, I'm building this your size. You can ride it. But don't let anyone else ride this and like he put on whatever the lightest weight mm -hmm. stuff at the time was um and i'm sure there's some titanium all drilled out yeah all dr sure. all drillium all drilled out you know titanium axles you know what whatever you know the lightest stuff you could do right and of course this is chicago right they got a couple of tracks there oh and some sprint track sprinter eddie I crashed my crit bike. You gotta loan me a bike. I got a race coming up this weekend. Eddie loaned him that bike. And he told me about it. And I said, Are you kidding? He says, No, Jeff, he loves it. And I said, Yeah, but what what'll happen when he crashes it? Oh, he, he's a great bike handler. Well, he crashed it. He's doing crits, he's gonna crash. Yeah, no, he crashed it and it Yeah. Folded on impact. Oh, oh yeah. I mean it was just yeah, I mean... Do you remember how light it was? Do you remember the weight? I think it was... I, I think they had it down to about 17 pounds. Yeah, wow. For a steel bike? Yeah, and and back then? Right, yeah, right. No, it's crazy. But... <laughs> huh. What's another one you remember? Well... Uh... I'm trying to think of ones I've seen that people are especially proud of, but you know, there. You do a lot of touring bikes. You do a lot of. Well, I like. Well, that's kind of why I got into it. 
Well, that's true. You wanted to build a touring bike. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but because of Ragbri, I built a lot of Ragbri bikes. Yeah. You know, which is, you know, somebody pointed out, well, Jeff, that sounds a lot like a rando bike. You know, it's kind of, you know, um, mostly road geometry. <clears throat> But with clearance for a little bit wider tires, mm-hmm. um, eyelets so you could put a rack on it mm-hmm. and or fenders. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> but see that to me that bike that kind of bike always made sense. I mean because you know you go on Ragbri and I mean I mean that's the thing that just just blows my mind now is you know people are on these bikes you know fast road bikes. And there's no eyelets, and so they got like some beam extension, you know, rack on there so they can carry their gear on Ragbrand. It's just like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's a solution. It is. It's a solution. Um. <laughs> yeah. Definitely gone are the days of eyelets and. What what do you call them? Rolled fenders. Like fenders today are pieces of plastic that stick off your seat post. Yeah, well, um, well, I mean, you know, there's metal, I mean, there's always been metal fenders, and there's some really lovely metal fenders out there still and that I like. But, um, you know, but there's also, like, some fairly nice plastic ones that are often will have aluminum core. Well, they still, like... And those are easier, to, generally easier to install. You know, the uh, I guess some aluminum bikes might have, you might be able to fit a like a full wheel fender in there. But so many of your bikes have beautiful fenders, stainless steel, wood, whatever, um, that fit nicely. I even saw you integrated wiring for yeah lights into. Well, into sure. The I mean that's. Uh, that's kind of the uh, well. Let's face it. Um, if anybody's serious about racing, probably not going to be talking to me about a bike frame, you know, because you know they're probably if they're serious about racing, they're racing on carbon fiber. Today they are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe tie, but probably carbon fiber. Yeah. Oh, well, aluminum. Some people still race aluminum because yeah. it's destructible yeah you know yeah um cheap stiff light but um you know people still people still prize steel for its ride quality amen and people still like what i do i think because of its classic its classic timeless appeal perhaps (laughs) um and you know Well, okay, I'm certainly a lot older than I was when I started building. You know, back oh, that's in 19- crazy. Back in 1975. Huh. And so, um, you know, a lot of, I, I guess, you know, I, I think the racers still like that full drop aerodynamic position. But, like, you know, a lot of people as they've gotten older, they're not as comfortable with that as they used to be. Mm-hmm. And so they like something a little bit more exclusively race 
but but that will still kind of go fast and perform but they also like something that's more functional mm-hmm. and so it's like that old traditional you know what i call the rag ride bike or the century bike that you know like you know the idea of a crit bike was you know you wanted just as you know, stiff and as you could make it. And, you know, that's not necessarily comfortable if you just want to go out and ride for fun. Mm-hmm. And and so, like this, you know, the Rondo, Rondoneering bikes, um, kind of tick a lot of those boxes. You know, the, you know, you got fenders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you can go out if the weather is, or if the streets are wet. Um, you know, Lights. Mm-hmm. So if it gets dark, yeah, you got okay. racks. Yep. Yeah, you know, and uh, or or a rack at least, so you can carry some gear, which is, I think, handy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really comfortable. And but like I say, it's a pretty, very sporty geometry, so it'll go fast if you want to go fast. And the hand, you know, handle great. So you know, and you know, they've discovered that. You know, a fatter tire can handle just as well as a skinny tire. In some ways better. Right. <laughs> so. Um, uh, have you adapted to things like disc brakes and carbon fiber forks? Um, I built bikes. Or I built frames for people with carbon forks. Um, and then, in fact, I've also, you know, like, had people order a steel fork and a carbon fork for it and like in one case the guy a year later sent me the carbon fork he said you just paint this black so So i'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna sell it yeah wow well um disc brakes i'm not a fan and why is that all right i mean i i think they have their they have their place i mean i you know but It's what it does to the fork. Um, disc brake forks have to be so rigid. Right. I mean, and so that takes away that comfort oh. factor. Got it. I mean, because, you know, the fork, of course, obviously steering, and you've got a certain geometry there that determines how a large part of how the bike steers. And tracks. And tracks, you know. Um, and corners and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But the other thing it does is it provides comfort. And, you know, the disc-ready steel fork blades. I mean, a little while ago I talked about there's two ways you can make a fork, or you can make a tube stiffer, mm-hmm. increase the wall di- wall thickness, and or increase the diameter. Well, the disc-ready blades, they've done both. They're like twice the thick wall thickness of the lightest blades that I, that I will use. And the tip are like 50% larger. Hmm. So, wow. instead of, so, so instead of like 12 and a half or 13, they're like ni- 18 or 19 at the tip. You know, so they're, and then they also recommend, it's best not to put a rake on them. Get your offset at the a- crown. A- angling it at the crown. Huh. Well, that means all the shock is going to be transferred right up into, right up into the handlebars. Yeah. And I think part of the reason why people are chasing wider and wider and wider, wider tires 
and 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 softer and tubeless, you know, so they can run them really really low pressures. Right. Is they've made the forks so brutally stiff. I mean, I, I mean, that's not all of it, but that's but that's part of it. And then the other thing is too, like you know, instead of a one inch steer. You know, okay, they went first. They went to an inch and a steer, but mm-hmm. nowadays, as you know, like a lot of them, they're, they're like an inch and a quarter or larger, and then right. they taper up to an inch and a. Right. And then, of course, you know, if another thing they've done that's added to the stiffness or the rigidity, you know, perhaps inadvertently, is um, you know the through axles. Right. So instead of a nine millimeter axle, you got what is it a twelve? Yeah. I yeah. think it, there's even, I think, on a front, 16 and 20 even. Uh, yeah, maybe okay. I'm wrong, well, but yeah. But, all right, but so. They're all, big and fat, yeah. All, but so all that, once again, adds to that rigidity. Right, right. And <sighs> more material, uh, well, straighter, and it's harsher. Harsh. Heavier. It's got to be heavier. Oh, well, well, yeah, yeah, it's heavier. Yeah, and and, and you could put a carbon fork on it, right. I guess. And and but you know, carbon bikes are not necessarily known for their ride quality. You know, I mean, th- they're light. Right. Right. I mean, they're really light. Right. But 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 like you know, uh, Trek for instance. I mean like I mean I th- is it the Madone that had some elastomers in it mm-hmm. to add some flex to it, which is like well okay. <laughs> so it's a way to solve that problem. Yeah no I mean yeah it's yeah. an it's an engineering solution but right. it's, you know um, it's just let's. Just There's definitely a different feel between a steel bike and aluminum bike. Oh yeah. And a carbon fiber bike, yeah. Especially a inexpensive carbon fiber bike, where there's a lot of material and less thought in the layup and the design. Yeah. An expensive carbon fiber bike, there's a lot of hand work done. Oh yeah. Oh, I, oh, oh no, I know. And um, they're marvels of engineering, and you know. Indeed, and um, and some of them, I mean, it's a totally different aesthetic when I do. But there's some some of them out there that are, look really cool. For sure, absolutely, look yeah. like race cars. Yeah, for no, sure. it's just like wow. For sure, <laughs> but there's there's uh, you know, you could have two carbon fiber bikes right next to each other, and they could look exactly the same on the outside, but they're and very, very different differently on the inside. Yeah. Very different. Oh. One could be. What one that's hand laid up and 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 a very expensive one could be very comfortable. Could be, all right. But uh, a five hundred dollar carbon fiber bike could be super harsh, rattly, and well, knock your teeth out. Some you get what you pay for, maybe. For sure, for sure, yeah. for sure. But it's important to know that. They they could look exactly the same. Sure. Oh, uh, look! It looks on on Amazon. It looked exactly the same as well, the one that Joe's riding. That paid, he paid ten thousand dollars for. Yeah. Well. well yeah, okay. There you go. Yep. Yep. Why is it so harsh? Well, because it's not the same. Yeah. But it's hard to see from the outside. Well, you probably can't. Right. Uh, and, and the same is true for steel bikes. But I would say a steel bike, a cheaper one, might be more forgiving. 
because it might be noodly and, and um, whippy and heavy and never know. Yeah, never know. Never know for sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. Well, I would look forward to having a Jeffrey Bach. My racing days are. I don't do 20 crits a year anymore. <laughs> I certainly don't. And I would feel, I would feel, I always said like, oh, when I'm done racing, I want to get me a Jeffrey Bach. And I feel like we're, we're nearing that time. And I've got this Le Monde that I, I mean, I love riding it. It's smooth. It's light. You know, when I've got a good set of wheels on it and um, not big clunky pedals and et cetera, et cetera, I can get it down to 17 pounds. It's a seventeen pound bike. That's a wheels matter. Oh wheels matter. That's huge. Yep. Yep. Um but like I said, it's not gonna last forever, so I have to think about its replacement. It could last a while though. It could. I, mean, it I don't could. wanna I don't wanna talk you out of it, but I mean Well, I have a significant birthday coming up in a few years that there you go. Might be appropriate. There yeah. you go. Yep. Um and that's fun. Yep. Um yeah, it's always X plus one, isn't it? Absolutely, X plus one. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is indeed. Well, Jeffrey Bach, I should let you uh, get home. And uh, are you heading out to Ragbri at all this year? Any part of it? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I used to love it. I used to really, really, really love it. Um, I missed the very first one, but I started on the second one back when they called it Sag, you know, SAG right, right, right. Second right. annual Great Bike Ride. Right. Yeah. Um, How many people were on that, would you say, <sighs> guessing? 2,000 or 300? Oh, it was a couple thousand, I think. Okay. So the first one was like 300. Yeah. Yeah. I was just yeah. having that discussion with somebody. And, yeah. No. And I couldn't um, remember if number two was 300. Yeah. Or number one was but, like, and they were shocked yeah. that 300 people showed up. Glenwood, I think, didn't they start in Glenwood the first year? Do you Could, remember your first where you started? Council Bluffs. Yeah. Okay. My yeah. first, my my yeah. first was Glenwood. Yeah. I think that's something you always remember. Yeah. Um, and we le ended up in Dubuque. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and uh, <laughs> but no, it was just it was absolutely magic. Um, I didn't have a tent. I just had a sleeping bag, just laid it out on the ground on a ground cloth, and you know, I mean, it was, it was just, it was just wonderful. And of course, back then, of course, you know, you could ride to the, you know, get up in the morning, pack your stuff, ride to the next town, pull up to the local cafe, and of course, the towns still had cafes, and you could walk in, sit down the corner, and order off at the counter and order off the menu. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like try that now <laughs> right 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 right. oh you have to go to a different town to find a yeah yeah you'd have to go off you'd have to go in. off route yep, yeah yeah big time yeah so um, big time yeah it is a traveling city and it's amazing i mean just how i mean i don't know i've never heard of like any fights or any of that kind of stuff or you know any I mean, I mean, maybe there is, but you know, I, I I've never heard of that. And I do remember once in Elkader, Iowa, you know, there was a a riot, but on Ragbri. Yeah, I don't remember that. Oh uh, well, they had a like we pulled in town, and they had like a a sound car, like a car with speakers on the top. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't believe how much beer we've got. You cannot drink us out of beer. Well, they did. Oh, 
Wow. And then there was trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, the beer gardens are very different today than they were in the 80s, that's for sure. Well, and this was this is probably still 70s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I was not part of that. I was trying to get some sleep. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, for many years, we were on the ice cream rag bry as we'd haul our kids along. El Cater used to have a wonderful local dairy ice cream store um i don't I, I don't think it's there anymore but that was that was that was yeah that was great but anyway it's amazing what you remember from yeah. different years yeah isn't it yeah true I, I will be driving through iowa for who knows what come through sm some small town be like oh i remember being here it's amazing yeah yeah it's like Oh, yeah, must have been Ragbri. Yeah, yeah, well, I know instantly it was Ragbri, and I can remember, oh, the, the, well, of course, the beer garden was there, the, the naked water slide was over there. I got a hamburger over here. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and for a lot of years, I, you know, um, I missed out a lot of what was going on in the overnight towns because, you know, I would ride the route, try to get in early as I could, you know, you know, noon or one, and, you know, get cleaned up a little bit. And, and then I'd go to one of the bike shops and I'd work on bikes until, mm -hmm. until dark, until four started getting lights, and then it's just like, ugh. <laughs> oh yeah well we talked about that yeah they really changed yeah. that whole scene yeah yep you know we would we would have a couple of gas lanterns to put stuff away with but yeah, yeah. not stuff you could work on but yeah once we got electric lights oof yeah it's, it's like i'm not so sure i want to do that anymore yeah same 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 <laughs> yep well, makes for, been, a long, makes for a long day. Yeah, it makes for a super long day. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, it was fun. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, everything was wonderful and nothing hurt. You know? I want to thank Jeff for his time and great and thoughtful conversation. And I want to thank you for tuning in to the second Ragbri Spectacular July Bike Talk episode. I'll be hunting down stories and conversations while riding across Iowa, so be sure and tune in for more Ragbri content in the coming weeks. I really appreciate you listening, and I would love it if you would rate and subscribe to the show. And if you want to support the show financially, please head on over to buymeacoffee.com and look for Bike Talk with Dave. I'll put a link in the show notes. And when you do, I'll send you a sweet Bike Talk with Dave sticker which was designed and created by Bike Rags Apparel. And they make so much more than apparel. While they do make sweet custom kits for your club or team, they also print t-shirts, sweatshirts, they make hats, jackets, and sweet stickers. Look for them at bikeragsapparel.com. Okay, that's it for now. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Bike Talk with Dave.